Welcome to Promo Cares Radio, where we dive into the good being done in the promotional products industry. From general philanthropy to cause marketing to giving programs, we're here to shine a light on those inspiring stories that are helping to improve the world through promo. And now, Promo Cares Radio with your host, Roger Burnett. This is Promo Cares Radio. My name is Roger Burnett, co-founder and president of Promo Cares and vice president of sales for Branded Logistics. As the host of Promo Cares Radio, I serve as your goodness valet, delivering stories about the awe-inspiring and inspirational ways businesses and business people are doing good in the communities they live and serve. Promo Cares is a 100% volunteer initiative created to lift up and recognize companies in the promotional products industry using their businesses as superpowers for social good. We help suppliers, distributors, service providers, and end buyers alike become a bridge for positive social impact. We do this through best practice sharing, online and offline collaboration efforts, and helping organizations with their give back work by marketing their efforts and telling their stories. I'm pleased to welcome back Denise Tashiro from Fairware in the co-host chair for today's episode, as Denise has a strong background in today's topic, and apparently I didn't scare her off in our episode with Christina Noel a few weeks back. Hey Denise, how's it going? It's great. Good to be here. Thanks. I appreciate you coming along for the ride. And today's guest is the embodiment of what Promo Cares is all about. A picture on Sandmar's very first catalog cover with a two-year-old pedaling a big wheel proves it. Jeremy has worked at Sandmar for nearly his entire life. Today, as president of the family-owned business, Jeremy works in partnership with his father, Marty, and brother, Jordan. Over the years, Jeremy learned the business from the inside out, from pulling orders to purchasing. After college and a stint studying in Hong Kong, he launched his career as an analyst for investment bank Piper Joffrey's technology team. He then moved to Chicago in 2001 to earn his MBA and joined Sanmar full-time thereafter. Adding strategy to the the vision, he continues to steward the company toward long-term growth and health. Proud of the opportunities given to so many tenured staff members to thrive, He often spends time table hopping at the company's on-site cafe. He learns a lot during those casual conversations because, he says, employees have the pulse on what's really going on in their arenas. The father of six children, Jeremy discovered that a work-life balance holds the key to maximum productivity, and he enjoys spending his time outdoors skiing, hiking, boating, and generally staying active. Family-owned since 1971, Sanmar is an award-winning supplier of 16 retail and private brands of in-principle apparel and accessories. And with just over $800 million in sales, Sanmar currently occupies the number two spot in the 2017 ASI Top 40. Jeremy has the reins of the organization of more than 4,000 employees spread across seven national distribution centers, corporate headquarters just outside of Seattle, and factory partnerships spanning Central America, Africa, Asia... And India. Welcome, Jeremy. Good morning. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for coming in. So, as I mentioned in the open, while we at Promo Cares are focused on telling the stories of those in our industry doing great work in the communities in which they work and live, Promo Cares Radio takes a slightly different perspective. We try to take a little bit longer look here at the backstory of some of these initiatives and how they've seen the light of day so as to give those in the listening audience the confidence and maybe the inspiration to see how they too might make that journey. 
So Jeremy Sanmar released a corporate responsibility report that was presented to the industry at PPAI Expo this past January. And my good buddy and goodness, Danny Rosen was texting me during that presentation, just absolutely going ape over what you guys were doing. And your letter to open the report kind of reads like a roadmap for anyone in the industry seeking this path towards a purpose-driven business. So we felt compelled to ask you if you'd spend some time with the Promo Cares community sharing more about that report, Sandmar's dedication to the community, and your personal perspective on the industry with respect to this topic. We're really grateful for your time today as well as Sandmar's effort in this regard. I just want to make sure that you're comfortable with that as the framework for our discussion. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into it. So Sandmar's really long lived by a set of guiding principles called the Sandmar Family Values. And in your letter opening that 2017 report, you'd mentioned how your corporate responsibility efforts in many ways were just an extension of those values. And to me, that suggests an evolutionary as opposed to revolutionary move. So talk to us about how that evolution occurred, like where, where its drivers came from and really what transpired to make this version of the report happen. So I'd start maybe back in, in 2012. I went to a, I'd gotten my MBA uh, in, you know, decade earlier at uh, Kellogg School of Management Northwestern. And I went back there for a week-long course, and it was a leadership in the context of family businesses. And I was kind of just in the position then of taking on this leadership role at Sanmar. And the thing that I, and I spent kind of four days at Kellogg, and the thing that I I most came back with was this idea that successful multi-generational family businesses uh, were really kind of had a set of values, and they were values-driven, and that that was um, what held those businesses together kind of over multiple generations. And, and that's really um, one of our goals um, as a family and as owners of this business is to be stewards of this business so that it exists um, for, you know, for my children and grandchildren that's there um, and that stays a family business. And so we, I started thinking about the values and I said, gosh, I think we have this amazing culture at Sanmar and the set of values that we've had that my dad really instilled in, in, in me and in the company, but we've never been really purposeful about talking about them. We've never written them down. We don't articulate them well. Um, and so when I came back, I started this, uh, I, I brought in people from every distribution center, um, all parts of the organization. And I said, you know, um, I, I don't want to, I, I, I really want to say, what are those things that are important to us? What do we believe um, at Sanmar that makes us maybe unique, but that, uh, that are the things that are really important to us? Let's write it down. And we want to be a little bit aspirational kind of with these values. And so it was a really great process. And we came out uh, with six values that we call the Sanmar family values. But one of them that was a little bit um, eye-opening for me at the time was this idea that we wanted to um, make a difference. And, and we had kind of, um, you know, for a long time been kind of head to down focused on, on our business, on what we were doing. And, and we wanted to take our heads up a little bit and say we're part of um, a community um, here in, in Seattle where, where I'm based. Um, we're part of a community um, in the eight states that we have distribution centers um, where our customers kind of live. Um, where our product is manufactured around the world, and we want to become an active participant in those communities, and we want to make a difference. We actually want to make those communities a better place. 
And that was a kind of a huge, um, like, shift in, in thinking a little bit for us and kind of this eye-opening thing to say, like, oh, yeah, we actually, uh, how, how, and how can we do that? How do we best um, make a difference? And that's really what started us down this road of, like, what what turned into this CSR report that we put out in, in um, at the end of last year. And at the end of the day, I, I always like to tell people, it's not that some of the things, when you think about things like um, uh, sustainability or, or, or product safety, we've been focused for a long time on, like, how do you not do bad things in the world? You know, how do you not um, poison the river with dye? How do you not treat employees who are making your shirts badly? How do you not, how do you make sure you're making a safe product? Um, and, and that's really important, and we still are, have a lot of focus on that, but I wanted to shift the thinking here to how do we actually um, do positive things. And, and, and that's been something that's been super exciting. It's been completely embraced by our organization. It's become kind of this rallying cry for us. And, and, and truly, like, as I, um, um, it's, it's helped us to attract employees and, and retain great employees. And so it's been this really exciting journey that we've been on as we think about how do we use the platform that we have, which is making apparel and selling in the promotional products market uh, to make a difference in the world and in the communities, specifically in the communities that we're a part of. Um, and, and so we work really hard at that. So, Jeremy, I love that. I, love, I always love when there's a moment in time where there's a really specific, you know, that spirit of the chest, whether it was, you know, at Kellogg learning about family leadership and the, the concept of values or, or purpose as an organizing principle for a company in the long haul. Um, I'm curious, as you started to shift and articulate these values internally and uh, uh, down and up your supply chain, how did your customers react? Like, when, when did you start to see, um, uh, you know, the foot, that end buy, whether it's the end, the end user or your buyers, when did you start to hear the stories or get any feedback on have people noticed it, haven't they noticed it, et cetera? So what about outside of the um, organization? How have people responded? Yeah, you know, so I think at first this was, it was, you know, it was an internal thing. We said, okay, well, let's do this. And, and we started, um, you know, working with our partners, talking to our employees, what can we do in our communities and starting to do things. And we started to generate these really amazing um, stories. And, um, and, you know, we got to the point where, like, this is, we should share these stories because they're impactful and at the end of the day, I can't, um, I can't make this difference if my, my customers aren't buying product for me and, and selling it to their end user. Um, you know, I'm a very small part of this kind of bigger supply chain of building product and getting it to companies with their logos on it. And so we really felt like it was important to tell that story um, out. And so we started and it was really amazing. People said people have, if anything, it was, they've wanted more, um, more videos, more stories, more, um, white papers. They are really excited about that because they're part of, um, doing positive things. And I think that was the whole point of it was, um, this wasn't just something that, that Sandmark could do, but our customers by extension and their end users by buying promotional products that were made in a, not just a responsible way, but in a way that invested in the communities that they were part of that, that they were doing good in the world. So our customers have really, 
uh, embraced it. And, and if anything, we've been trying to keep up with that demand to be able to say, you know, give us more, tell us more stories because we want to tell those stories forward. Yeah, I think there's definitely an appetite for this kind of information in the marketplace. I mean, even in the short amount of time that we've been around as promo cares, we see a, a lot of um, momentum and energy around the notion of being inspired while you're doing what you do for gainful employment. And I think the turning point for us has been here really in just the last couple of weeks or so where we're having members of the promotional products industry starting to actually identify and tag promo cares in some of the work that they're doing as well. So I, I think you're spot on there in saying that the, the appetite is there and there's really no shortage of desire and demand for what we can give them in that regard. But you know, the interesting thing to me was uh, 2017 wasn't your first corporate responsibility report. You, you've been doing this for a while, but and I've had the opportunity to look through a number of them. And what struck me in the review was the degree now to which you're starting to share statistics. You know, what, what used to be we intend to now has become here's where we are with respect to those things that we intended to do, including instances where maybe you're not doing as well as you'd like to. So talk a little bit about when that transition started to occur and was there something behind the scenes that prompted that push into transparency in the reporting? Yeah, I think that um, the more the more I got engaged in understanding um, social responsibility and thinking about it, 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 it stopped going from this um, maybe kind of like binary thing the way I thought about it before, like you were compliant or you're not compliant or you were safe or unsafe or you were, the, or, or you, were you know, environmentally friendly or not environmentally friendly to thinking about things in a more of a continuum. Um, and our goal is to move along kind of this continuum in a positive kind of way. And to do that required us to actually say, okay, so where are we on the continuum today? How are we doing? And it, it, was, a, it was harder than you might imagine to actually generate real data to kind of support where are we on this kind of journey that we're on. And, um, but, we, but we spent a lot of time at it and thinking about it um, to, to create some of kind of this data to say, here's where we are. And then we said, gosh, is that scary to share? Because, you know, we want um, from a reputational standpoint with customers, you know, you never want to say or, or you're scared to say, well, not everything is 100 percent perfect all the time. Um, and we had that moment of, you know, or is there that fear? And then we really said, you know what, we think that people understand that um, the goal is to, to improvement and the goal is to make it kind of better. Not the goal is to be, you know, 100% in everything all the time. That's just not the real world. Um, and so we kind of moved past that fear and we said, well, if we're going to um, start to share this, we have to start to share where we're being successful and um, and some of the places where we're where we're not being as successful as we want to be, and I think um, you know that is our goal over time is to give a level of transparency on um, on where we're going, where we're being successful, and where we're um, where we're falling a little short of that. Uh, 
And we hope and we believe that our customers are going to understand um, that that is kind of that's the reality of, of um, building product in a supply chain that's global, and that are going to appreciate that we're that level kind of of transparency. And and I think that we're frankly. Um, our industry um, and Sanmar in general are, are behind the curve in terms of just the level of transparency that we need to share um, externally. And I think you're going to see a lot more from Sanmar over time and a lot more from our industry over time because I think that uh, it's the right thing to do. I think our end users are going to demand it. Um, and I think that that's just uh, that train has kind of left the station and it's not going back. Your supply chain is this kind of secret private thing that you don't share. I don't think that world uh, exists for much longer. You know, um, Jeremy, I think you, you named something that's always been such a barrier um, to transparency, and it's this fear of being perfect. I mean, we, we all kind of have it. And, you know, one of the things, there's actually a fair amount of research and market data on, especially at the consumer level, where uh, you know, folks will articulate that they want people to be driving and digging into these issues of supply chain, um, you know, ethical sourcing, sustainable products, and they fully expect you're not going to be perfect. You know, it's like 83% of people will forgive you if you screw up on the journey because they know it's a long, hard haul. And, and I think once you start to see that and understand that, we have a, a word at Fairware um, that we use a lot called flossum, like awesomely flawed. Right. And, you know, we are trying, and it is a, it is a conundrum. Um, every time you turn a corner, there's a no, new can of worms to open. And, and so I think as people just be really honest with um, their customers and their partners and their, um, you know, uh, their peers, whether it's your colleagues or supply chain, that you're just on the journey and you're all kind of trying to point in the right direction. It really changes the tenor and that, you know, trust capital goes up and that kind of elasticity of forgiveness goes up. And, and we've found that a lot as a brand. But I, I want to ask uh, a little bit about the culture of your team. Because this is a big shift. You're dealing with a team of buyers. You're dealing with uh, designers. You know, maybe material sourcers, or, or maybe even you're developing your own materials. And you know, how has that team responded? And have you seen a shift from I need to do this because Jeremy's telling me to do this? You know, oh, he went to Kellogg, and now we have to do this. Right. Or are they starting to own it and and kind of? Do, do you are you seeing that they are giving themselves permission to put up their hand and, and kind of call out the hard stuff, identify a factory where maybe you've seen issues, you've gone in, you've tried to turn the corner with them and, and work with them. They're not interested. You know, do you pull the pin or do you keep investing? Like, are they are they making those judgment calls on their own? Uh, are they feeling confident? Like, this is hard stuff, even from a behavior change perspective, to get a team to embrace it and work on it. And what are you seeing there in terms of the, the crew that is working on these issues for you? Yeah, so I would tell you that when, you know, we started thinking about it, the, the pushback that I got was, well, this is going to make our product more expensive. You know, we're going to pay more, so great, Jeremy, if you're, if you're ready to accept lower margins, then, then, you know, that's fine, but it's on you, you know, and, and what I, what I kind of found over time is I said, okay, I understand that there is sometimes a cost to some of these and an, an upfront cost to it, but let's look at the cost of, um, not doing it. 
what's the reputational risk to Sanmar? What's the cost of um, uh, having bad quality in a product? Because one of the things I've found over time is that um, factories that um, do a better job of um, just really simply taking care of their people also produce better quality garments kind of over time. So what's the okay. quality cost? Um, you know, what is the, the cost of kind of different challenges? And so as we've looked at, um, as we've looked at it over time, what we found actually is that um, it's not costing us more kind of in the product. There's, um, and, you know, we've been able to, um, you know, maintain margins that are healthy. I, I always start with the fact that like Sanmar is a for-profit business and we don't, uh, we don't apologize kind of for that because for us being able to um, you know drive a fair profit and grow our business um, allows us to do more things you know it, we're not it's not very sustainable for us if we're you know, losing money uh, son we'll, we'll be out of business quickly so for mm-hmm. us um, we have to be in a position where we are um, making a fair profit for the work that we do and we work really hard um, but you know, I think quickly though the team, those 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 uh, sourcing folks and developers, they got excited about it because um, we gave them permission to say, you know, you guys, it's not. I I travel a fair amount. I see the factories, but I'm not nearly as much as you know my team who's there, uh-huh. you know, on the ground frequently. I said, you guys are you guys are there. You're seeing this, and you're seeing that their impact that we can potentially create. So come back to me with ideas. What do you guys want to do at this factory? How do you want to push them in a positive way? You know, do you think that we should still be here? Because if you don't think we should be here, you know, I certainly don't think we should, you know, mm-hmm. be here. Let's talk about it. And it's, so it's opened up um, a lot of really fantastic conversations. It's opened up a lot of opportunities for our product developers to engage in ways that have been super meaningful um, to them. And sometimes, like, which what I love is I hear about it kind of uh, uh, later. They said, gosh, you know what we did? We did this, uh, we worked with this factory and we did the, we created all these, we had extra fabric and so we created these backpacks and then we went to the school and we gave them to the school and we gave them to the kids and it was amazing. And like, here's pictures of the event we did, Jeremy, and I'm like, that's awesome, you know, and I'm the last one to hear about it, and that's okay. Um, so it's not coming from me; it's coming kind of from that team, and, uh, and and so I love I love that. So the team really has embraced it. But there was a cultural shift from uh, as, as we stopped thinking about. Well, I think, but the hard part, I guess, for them to overcome was: is this going to cost us more? Um, mm-hmm. Is that going to hurt our business? And mm-hmm. and what we've really, I think proven over time is that um, that really hasn't been the case. You could always find a cheaper kind of factory and a factory that, uh, you know, would make product for less money. There's product categories that we've just said, hey, we can't play in that product category because if the price point in the industry is $1.29 and that's where you have to be to sell any, um, we don't think we can make that the way that's important to us at $1.29. We're just not going to, we'll walk away from a category and we've, we've done that. Um, mm-hmm. but the team has really, uh, the, the team has done a, a really great job and really embraced it. Well, let's, um, I want to build on it, on something you talked about at the very beginning. And, uh, it's this tension between this work, corporate social responsibility, co- you know, sustainability, corporate responsibility as more of a compliance driven, um, 
you know, initiative versus sustainability as strategy or CR as strategy. And my background, you know, I've been in the promo industry for about 12 years, but before that I was an outdoor retail and uh, I was the sustainability director of a outdoor retail brand and it was very much strategy. It was not compliance. You, you know, you just assumed compliance. Um, I, you know, and when I came into this industry, I found it fascinating because to be blunt 12 years ago, product safety, uh, social compliance was still aspirational for a lot of people in the industry. And it was quite astonishing to me. And, uh, and it's been interesting to see, I think the journey from, um, kind of that product safety, check the box compliance, um, frame, you know, kind of mentality, I guess, to one of strategy. And I have to say that I also sat in that um, session in Vegas in January, and I was also texting people, but I was texting people um, at the Sustainable Apparel Coalition, and I was and I was saying this is the first time I've ever heard of the Hig Index, or I've ever heard anyone talk about these, you know, very specific frameworks or issues in my industry in 12 years, and I was so inspired and, and, and taken by it. And I'm curious just to to kind of get at a, a couple of things. One is. You know, what are your thoughts on this notion of should businesses be kind of driving this as a differentiator, as part of strategy, um, or, you know, you know, is it is it an important step along the journey just to, to be a box checker from a compliance perspective? And then I'm kind of curious, like, who are you admiring right now in this space? What are the brands you're looking at, whether in our industry or in retail, that you think are really driving um, the ball forward? Yeah, so, so a couple questions there. So I think first for, um, we started thinking about com- first compliance years ago because we realized uh, in kind of like the mid-90s because we realized that as soon as a, um, a shirt, you know, left my warehouse and it got a logo on it, stopped being a Sandmar shirt and started being a, you know, pick your brand, I'm here in Seattle, so Microsoft, Starbucks, Boeing, kind of et cetera, and we said, well, that's a big responsibility because now it's a Boeing shirt or now it's a Microsoft shirt um, to make sure it was made in a, com- a compliant way, as a safe way. So, so we'd, we'd focused there for a while. We really didn't think of it as strategy until we started thinking about kind of values. And, and some of it was, was just personal. Like what, um, for, for me, what was driving me to um, get up and kind of come to work every morning and and it was this really the thing that got me the most excited um, was this idea that um, and I kind of came to it I could use this platform that we have to do some amazing things and I'll, I'll tell you just a quick story I, I had um, you know I visited factories for a long time and several years ago there was a, uh, a, a factory in Bangladesh that collapsed and and uh, a lot of people died, and it was a really horrific event. And um, it was news globally for for weeks. And uh, I I kind of said I, I, at the time I was thinking about it a lot because I'm like, gosh, you know, I'm in this, I'm a part of this industry that um, you know has has um, you know contributed to these you know, a lot of people who lost their lives. Um, I'm also part of this industry that I think has this capability to do kind of some amazing things because it's uh, 
uh, low capital industry. It hires a lot of unskilled workers. It tends to hire um, a lot of women. Um, and so I started thinking about it a lot and I started doing a little bit of research. And one of the things that I found um, was that when you looked at like development metrics for countries and whether it was things like um, infant mortality rates or GDP growth or, you know, any like real measurable development, one of the number one predictors of success was, um, you know, economic security for women and empowerment of women. And it was this like light bulb a little bit for me to say like, gosh, well, our industry is positioned so well to support that if it's done in, in mm-hmm. the right way. Um, and so I got, it's what got me excited. So I tell people, I've said this for a couple of years now, like what we do is sell shirts and bags and hats, but that's not why we do it. Um, the why for us was this, is this ability to really affect kind of positive change kind of in the world. And so that has been, um, you know, and to have this platform that we have to be able to do it. So that's what's really gotten me excited. And I think a lot of the people um, who work here have kind of followed us on that journey and got really excited about about kind of what we do. Um, in terms of other brands that, like, I'm, uh, you know, really follow, it was, it was um, there, I think there's a lot that are doing uh, interesting things. I think every, I think a lot of brands today recognize that, um, you know, we've got, uh, we're all a part of this. The, the, the world is a small place and we're all a part of this global community in a way. And we all uh, take from it and we have a responsibility to give back to it. Um, and uh, I think that they are, people are more and more aware of, of that. And so it's, I'm not sure, I, I, I thought it was, um, you know, whether your brands are politically active or environmentally conscious or doing different things, I think there are just more of an awareness today of kind of how interconnected we all are and our our responsibility to kind of be part of that and, and to be a positive kind of part of it. And I think that when you put uh, a profit motive together with a social motive that you have uh, such a more powerful um, tool to affect change than just um, philanthropy or, you know, nonprofits or other ways of affecting kind of positive change. And I think that's what's really exciting to me about it is that it, I think done well, business can, um, uh, can, can really move mountains in a really significant way. Oh, gosh, that's so, so, so very true. And uh, I, I think you'd probably agree and I really want to explore this to a certain extent. So there's this notion of in our industry, oftentimes end buyers will drive our supply chain activity to a certain extent by the nature of the requests that they'll make of us, both on the distributor and the supplier side. And I'm struck by uh, the comments here in 2018 of BlackRock, you know, one of the largest venture capital firms in the world and the CEO of BlackRock basically proclaiming to anyone who would listen that unless the businesses that they're seeking have some kind of social responsibility element to their business, that the fund just won't, it won't invest in it. So I think at the market level, we're seeing 
that kind of demand increase, I suspect given the size of your business and the relationships that you have with uh, the principles of the distributors on the other side of the fence that you're getting a, a, a nice look at what's going on there. What are you hearing from them with respect to that? And what, what are you hearing from the end buyer perspective when it comes to that kind of challenge? So, um, you know, it's still pretty very, it, 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 it's a, there's a lot of variability to it. So there are end buyers that this is really critical to them. It's a huge piece of their decision-making process. And then there's a lot of end buyers that it's, it's it's price or it's you had the right color blue and i don't that's that's all i care about right you know and and that's been um but i think that it is the more uh larger the organization the more sophisticated that it is the more that they care um and the more that it's part of a of of a sales process that that our customer has and so um I, i do think you've seen a huge shift uh, I do think you see more and more end users that this is something that they care about, but I don't know that our industry has done a good enough job of saying, um, as you look at um, a promotional product, I think like at its best is an extension of a company's brand. You know, so like it drives me um, crazy when I see companies that make a choice for their uh uniform for an event or the uniform for their stores or for their giveaways or for the way they present themselves at the trade show and they make a choice based on the cheapest possible whatever you know pen shirt hat bag etc that you could buy because that's a really poor extension of their brand um when they make a choice based on um style and design and quality and sustainability that's a really positive extension of their brand i don't know that um, as an industry, we do a good enough job of articulating that and why it's important to that buyer. It's why it's not just a pen with their logo on it, but why it's truly um, representing their brand out there. And um, I think sophisticated distributors get that and and go to market that way. I think some end users understand that. Uh, when you get to the right people in those companies, I think they understand it. Uh, too frequently, distributors aren't we're, we're not able to get to the right people. We get to the, you know, admin whose job it is to spend X budget on the event swag, and and that's who we get to. Uh, but I think when we go beyond that level and we're able to have the right conversations, then I believe the companies understand it. So very very true. And oftentimes, I think it is absolutely a reflection of the fact that we, in our sales efforts within the industry, aren't at the places where this particularly would be a passion project for a member of the organization. And you know, ordinarily, silos being what they are, especially as the size of an organization scales, the, the purchaser may not have yet been made aware of the fact that he or she needs to incorporate that portion of what the rest of the brand is trying to tell from a story perspective to their buyers. Uh, would be be reflected in the products that are bearing that company's logo that are being given out to the people who might uh, necessarily have that chance to then um, 
create a correlation for themselves between what that brand is doing and the products that they're receiving from them. So that, that very, very true in that regard. So, um, and I, I would say in, in my perspective, having had time on both sides of the fence here, you know, I've been, I was a distributor for a really long time. I've been a supplier for a much shorter period of time. But what I would say in many instances is that it's a, it's a matter of scale. And that I think we're at a moment where we're starting to reach what I believe will be critical mass. And I get a chance to talk to distributors of all sizes, smaller and larger. And clearly the larger distributors that are calling on maybe Fortune 1000 companies, you know, you're starting to see more and more requests from those end buyers being driven by the compliance department within those organizations, even if the brand story isn't necessarily coming along for the ride. It's more that they've at least gotten to a point where they're trying to protect themselves from litigation or you know a black eye in some way for their products bearing that logo. But when we push through that wall and we get to a place where maybe the mid-market companies are starting to ask those same questions, I think you'll start to see uh, this momentum really start to increase. And, and I would say in the last 18 months or so, what I've seen is more and more requests of smaller and smaller businesses to um, make that request. So now what I think we're wondering about is where, um, where within the industry on the supplier side will suppliers be able to not just say anymore, well, Sandmark can do that because they're a big company and I just don't have the scale and the resources to be able to do it. So um, what what advice might you give to that smaller supplier who would who would offer that as an excuse? Yeah, I think that there are, um, there's definitely advantages that you have kind of to, to, to scale. I mean, I have a team that can focus on um, some of these efforts and, and to really think about them in a, in a in a meaningful way, but I don't. I think it's really possible even at a small supplier level. So we work with um, you know 100 plus factories around the world. A small supplier might work with one or two, right? So knowing your uh, your factories, your supply chain, understanding it, visiting it, spending time there, um, getting involved there, it, it, it's it's in some respects it's easier um, as you are smaller than as you get kind of larger kind of in the scale. Um, some of these things are, and so I don't know that you need to, you know, um, pr produce a pretty report with lots of pictures and that's, you know, fancy to be doing kind of positive things and trying to measure, um, you know, kind of what your impacts are. So I think it's not it's uh, it's more a question from a smaller supplier of, of focus and desire than on I can't do it at my scale. And I think that one of the things that we found was there were real opportunities for like co real cost savings, which suppliers at every level care about as you think about sustainability. So, I mean, one of the silliest things that we had been doing forever was um, printing invoices and mailing them to our customers. And we um, we started going through this, and someone on the team suggested to me, well, do you think we could email invoices to customers? And I said, well, I'm not sure why not. Um, you know, and it was it, it saved us a lot of money to email invoices to customers, and we stopped using a lot of paper, and and um, it, it was a it was one of those really kind of easy wins that we have. And so I think as people look at um, where you're spending your resources and your and your money um, 
I think there's potentially real cost savings for small suppliers. So uh, I understand the mindset, uh, especially I get running a small business. I mean, Sanmar, we're a relatively large company today, but um, when I grew up in the business, Sanmar was a, I just tell people, you know, I'd come here on weekends and like uh, as a kid and we would like, you know, fold invoices and stick them into envelopes because when you run a small family business, your kids are free labor. Um, and so <laughs> I, I get the idea of like what a, a small business faces because that was us for my entire kind of certainly childhood and as we grew. Um, and we have more resources today, but I, um, so I get the challenges that face smaller businesses. I just think uh, there is a lot that they can do. And, and the reality is, again, it's incremental. So you don't have to make huge changes. What are the small things that you can do that just start to move the needle along that continuum in a little way? You know, I think I'll, um, I'll build on that a little bit. Just, you know, being someone who came from a large retailer to um, myself and my business partner in a garage and trying to do this from day one with zero budget and zero staff and just a lot of passion and elbow grease, it's actually... Um, you know, it's it's not as hard or intimidating as it sometimes can feel. And often when we're chatting with suppliers or even some of our, like, peer-friendly competitors, I'll often say, you know, you talked about flying in people from your distribution centers to talk about your values and start to shape out those, those family values. I mean, you can do that with a team of four. Order a pizza, sit down at the kitchen table, and, uh, you know, get three colors of Post-it notes and have one for the things you're doing in your office, one for the things you're doing in your community, and one for the things you're doing with your suppliers and your products. And, and write down, like, are we paying, you know, decent wages in this for this community? Um, you know, are we recycling? Do we have in-house recycling? Is there a way we could maybe, um, you know, have bike parking? Or, you know, what are the things we are doing? Write them down. And what are some cool things we could do for you know, fairly easy and, and potentially cheap. Um, you know, what kind of things are we doing in the community? Write them down. Write down the things you wish you could be doing in the community. What are you doing with your suppliers? Maybe the first step is easy as, you know, finding out which of them are minority-owned. And so you're like, we support minority-owned businesses in our country or veteran-owned businesses in our country. Like, that's it costs you nothing but, you know, a little bit of homework on a Thursday night. You know what I mean? Um, talk to your suppliers about their packaging. So there's some really tangible, low-cost or free initiatives that if you bundle them up on Post-it notes, you've created a little bit, you know, it's your first report, you know, and it's your first strategy around this stuff. So I think... You know, for us, we're, we're often trying to talk people down. You know, they're, they, they get so anxious about starting, and they're so nervous about this idea of we have to do it all or we have to be perfect. And what we generally find when we're talking to, in particularly smaller um, suppliers who don't have the vernacular, you know, they don't read sustainability reports, they find it all kind of confusing and intimidating, is when you just chat about it in a really real way, they're probably doing a ton because they're good people and like good people run companies in this industry. And so they just by default, they're doing like pretty good things in the day to day. They've just never thought to think about them in that way or strategically. So, you know, we have a very formal onboarding process and, you know, Sanmar, your, your social compliance team actually peer reviewed our supplier onboarding um, survey and, and we know it can be intimidating, and historically, it only had checkboxes on it. You know, have you been audited, by who, to what framework? And then one year, maybe three or four years ago, we put a question on it that said, is there anything else you're particularly proud of? 
Mm. And it was the best thing we ever did because people started telling stories. And we really got a sense of the suppliers we're working with. And nine times out of ten, when we're turning around to a client to talk about why we've chosen that supplier, it's usually the stuff from that box that we share. So we can talk about all of your certifications, Jeremy, for example, at Sandmar. Sure. But usually what we do is we talk about what you've been doing in Honduras in that community. And and it's the stories that tell, you know, it's the stories that hook people. They're like, I want to be a part of that. I want that T-shirt. And and it's it's like, you know, they're just like, I want to be driving change with my dollar. And, you know, the T-shirt's the same price or maybe it's a few cents more. But I want to be proud of what I'm doing. So, again, I, I do think it's easy to kind of make it um, less intimidating and more accessible for folks. You know, we're a certified B Corporation. It's a great kind of North Star, to use Roger's language. It's a great framework. It's also a very comprehensive framework. It goes into governance, ownership, um, transparency, like, you know, you couldn't believe. It's not for everyone, but even looking at it as a bit of a guideline for what are the things I should be thinking about in this space. So, again, you can tell I'm quite evangelical about it's easy to start to sit down and talk about some of the good things you're doing and uh, and ask your staff what are some of the things they wish you were doing and you're going to have a plan. Well, I love that. And I think, you know, you can start on that small level. And then the other thing I would tell, like, a, a distributor, and I said this in January, is, you know, it's an industry that, that everybody can pretty much sell the same product. So everyone has access to the same pen, the same mug, the same shirt. So how do you differentiate yourself when you're going in to see a customer? And you can differentiate yourself on price. You could be the lowest price you know, person out there. You could, you know, have a relationship there. You can have, you know, try and have better service. I mean, there's lots of ways to try to differentiate themselves. But one of the things that I encourage people to think about is this is a really uh, important way to differentiate yourself. And I think potentially a really effective way, you know, for distributors if they can have, um, you know, the right conversations. And so if they can, um, it, it's a there there is a we talked about before a strategy piece to this too and it doesn't have to be um, all encompassing day one it can really be sitting around having a pizza talking about how do we how do we make supplier decisions and what does that look like yeah mm-hmm. for sure I you know my in my time as a distributor um, there's this element of sameness that you're talking about and oftentimes end buyers will they may not be able to articulate it to you that way because they've not thought of it in that regard but um, I had a buyer one time say to me you know like how how am I supposed to pick when you literally all five of you gave me the exact same presentation and when <laughs> and when salespeople move around within the industry you know salespeople are smart if they see buyers nodding their heads about things at distributor A when should they make a move to distributor B and they don't they don't see the company using that as part of their pitch you know it has a way of making its way into the deck no matter what so when you think about it and especially oh go ahead I'm sorry I was just going to say like I have an anecdote from yesterday that that really supports that on the end user side we were pitching a new client it was a city and we were talking about how our product our um, you know Refillable water bottles, reusable, um, you know, mugs, uh, you know, reusable cutlery packs, things like that fit into their cities, um, ditch the disposables and single-use plastic um, bylaws that they were starting to roll out. 
And the woman said to me, you know, I've never done a webinar before, and I see that you're on video, and next time we have a call, I'm going to make sure that I hook up the video because I want you to see me nodding. Like, this is amazing. We haven't ever talked to a promotional products supply, you know, distributor who's talking about how their products link in with our sustainability strategy as a city. And I want to make sure you see how animated myself and my colleague are in the room because we see how animated you are talking about how important stuff is. And it was just, you know, incredible, right? Like, I am selling a commodity to these people. I'm selling them reusable tote bags and mugs and water bottles. It's what our industry sells all day long but we sell it in a very different way around this, you know, kind of issue area. And I think it's just, again, to your point, it's connecting on something other than the product, other than the price, other than the color. And, uh, and you know, values, shared values are tougher buying to break than the lowest price. I can promise you that, you know. No doubt, no doubt. And I would tell you, Jeremy, you know, from my perspective, Sanmar as an organization, you know, being a leader in this space, I heard you say that you believe that it even is a hiring differentiator for you. And in much the same way as, as you said about typically the person selling me the polo who has adopted this um, responsibility within their supply chain has a tendency to be a better uh, partner. I believe in many ways that you're probably attracting a higher quality employee as a result of their identification with what you guys are doing. And now that's not an easy task when you're talking about 4,000 plus people. That's that's one thing when you have a staff of 10, but when you're talking about 4,000 people, you know, what what better way to 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 attract people than to to have it be from a values perspective. But let's look at the other side of the equation. You know, you've got 4,000 employees but 60,000 customers. And it's really impossible for any of us to believe that every customer uh, can possibly share those same values. And, and, you know, in many instances, this is America. And especially in this version of today's America, you know, we it's obvious that we all have differences of opinion when it comes to where people come out on this particular topic. So um, do you feel like Sanmar can have a say in that on the downside on the other side? I don't want to call it the downside on the other side of the supply chain when a product leaves your factory? So maybe ask me that question again. I'm not sure I'm totally so, following you. So I am, I'm a screen printer, and I can use inks that are either harmful to the environment or not. And yep. you have absolutely very little say in that regard when it comes to how that product is being decorated once it leaves your facility. And I'm just wondering, sure. have you given any thought to how you might carry through what you've done an excellent and very well-documented version of when you're looking at your supply chain partners for the products that you're selling, just wondering if you've given any consideration to how that might work once once those products leave your door. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, uh, because we we lose kind of a lot, you know a lot of control once it leaves our door. I think what we try to do, I guess maybe um, the best thing that that I always tell people the um, most environmentally friendly shirt that you can buy is the one that you wear for the next you know 10 years because it's built so well that you um you love it the shirt that you wear twice and throw away i don't care you know what kind of cotton was used on it it was not um that that's bad that that, that is negative kind of for the environment so i think the thing that we can do best i think for um as, as we think about sustainability with our product when it leaves Sanmar is to make sure that the product that we're building is good product that is going to uh, wear over time.
time and kind of last over time and try to build kind of quality into the product. Um, and so that's, I think, the thing that we have, we've, we spend a lot of time focusing on. The thing that we are just starting to think about, and we don't have a really great answer today, is that what happens kind of to our product kind of end of life and how can we think about, um, you know, recycling or upcycling or what uh, uh, some last use for our product so it doesn't end up in a, uh, a landfill when you're done wearing it. Uh, and we do know just because of the nature of our industry, there's stuff that gets worn one time because it was for a specific event and that's when somebody wore it and it gets worn once and then it goes to, you know, goodwill and then, and then it goes kind of out the door from there. So, um, we're starting to think about that. We don't have a great answer, uh, today, but, uh, I think the, the, the best thing I can do for product as it leaves my warehouse is make sure that we think we're building a quality product that people are going to be able to kind of wear and last kind of over time. Yeah. And I'll just interject and say, I would say to you that your PSST program is an excellent example of your attempt to even as the trucks are leaving your uh, distribution facilities in, in much the same way as you talked about invoices going in envelopes instead of, you know, now they're going via electronic mail. When you have shipment after shipment after shipment going to the exact same place, what novel concept to say, well, we'll just hold all of these together and send them all in one truck at the same time. So sure, um, sure. Uh, yeah, that, right. it, it seems simple, but in a lot of ways, I mean, there's, other blank apparel suppliers in the industry that are still doing it in a different way. And that in and of itself to me is a reflection of the fact that you've given some thought to that. Great. So maybe one more question, um, Jeremy. In, uh, outside of end of life of your products, that kind of circular economy um, goal, where does Sanmar go next? Like what might, uh, you know, 2018 or maybe a 2019, knowing how hard these reports are to write and how hard it is to get the data, what will it look like? Is it going to be sort of, you know, a little more of the same and, and just a report on progress? Or are there things in the pipeline that you're looking at um, for the future? Yeah. So uh, one of the things I would tell you is and, and, and as we put together the report, we kind of put together these um, – 2020 goals. So we were giving ourselves kind of three years to kind of make some real progress. And um, I, I think m most of the goals were again, kind of how do we move further down that, um, that continuum that I kind of talked about before, but uh, maybe I would mention, um, you know, we also had on there what we called um, uh, like innovation. We go kind of move the needle. How, how do we do some, like what we're calling kind of high impact project to really um, affect some change at, at a bigger scale um, in that? And, and we are, so what we did with that is we started to go out and look at kind of what are, so what, what could some of those projects be? And we started to talk to our kind of partners in the communities and say, well, what, what is it that you need? Is it a healthcare clinic here? Is it water treatment here? Is it, uh, you know, what, what is that project that would make, um, kind of really move the needle? And we're starting to collect actually right now some, um, those options. And so we're then going to have a process of, um, uh, deciding and then investing in a, um, a high impact, 
for sure one, but maybe multiple kind of projects that we want to have mm-hmm. at least in process by 2020 when we kind of release our next report and be able to really talk about that. Uh, so we're, that's the thing that when I think about it, I'm kind of like um, most excited about as we think about kind of the next report. I think the other thing, maybe from a more technical standpoint, is this idea of um, how do we get more traceability further into our supply chain? And um, that is that is probably our when I think about our challenge, the the hardest piece to do. We we go back, um, you know, one level for sure to the garment ma- manufacturer, two levels almost always to the you know fabric manufacturer, and rarely three levels to the fiber, you know, kind of level. So, um, you know, as we're starting to kind of think about that, how do we go back kind of a little bit further? So when I think about kind of our 2020 report, I think those would be the things that I really want us to make, um, you know, some real progress on. Fantastic. That be that would twenty twenty will be here in the blink of an yeah. eye, <laughs> and it's amazing. Sounds, to, sounds bold. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's amazing to think that you know it, it really is only eighteen months away. So, looking forward to getting a chance to dive into the next one. So I, I'm just gonna leave us here as we are just getting ready to close this up. I'm just uh, Denise and Jeremy both. Either of you, both of you, if there's a, a final something that you'd like folks to be considering as we're getting ready to close this thing out. Well, I just want to say thank you guys for uh, for doing this and for uh, creating Promo Cares and for having me be a part of it. Um, I'm honored to be a part of it and, and thankful for your time today. Yeah, same too. It's great to just hear kind of the backstory. Um, the report was great, but the kind of stories behind it are always, you know, the interesting bits. So I appreciate you taking time out today. Awesome, folks. Thanks so much. And we will speak to you again.